This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lovers? What up? All right. We got things. We got booze. No beer. No theology. Yeah, I'm not sure that's clicking. It clicks for me. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Um, if you like it, you can keep saying it. Yeah. I'm fine. I, I haven't heard anybody tell me they didn't like it. I mean, tell us. Do you like it? Do you dislike it? Let us know. Would you like to see it on a t-shirt is the real uh, question. That is a, that is a fair question. Um, or a hat or something. Yeah. All righty. Well... Let's talk about some beer. And Clayton has a very strange beer. <laughs> so okay, I had a I had a long day, and I it's and it's also ten o'clock. Yeah, on I, a Friday night when we're recording this. I had a lot. I had like a so like before we even started Wellhouse work, I had a nine and a half hour day. Yeah, and uh, it was not supposed to be that long. It's supposed to be seven and a half. And so I'm leaving my field placement and I'm like, <clears throat> I don't feel like going to HEB mm. at that time, you know, where it's really busy and like, I actually have to go into the store and then look at and like, I'm not doing all that. So I went to this little liquor hut. that's <laughs> like right down the street, the corner store, the classic grungy corner store liquor store that you have in mind is exactly the kind of place Clayton's talking about right now. That's where I went. And uh, they have like four craft beers. <laughs> when you uh, called me on the phone and told me that's where you're going, I was like, really? Okay. I just didn't feel like going to HEB. You've been better off stopping at Bucky's. I would have been better off stopping at Bucky's. <laughs> you would have been way better <laughs> off stopping at Bucky's. Anyways, I found this. Hopefully, Jim there. Um, it was the l- only six-pack they had, and I can tell it's old because there's dust on the bottle. Yeah, that's not um, usually a good sign. Um, or is it the greatest sign? You no. know, the David Lee Murphy might be a little dust on the bottle. You know, that whole deal. No, fair, fair. But that's but usually about wine, and that it. song's awesome. Yeah. And... and uh. Oh, what's his name in the song? Um, oh. Um, I can't remember his I name. I can't either. But anyways, he goes to this guy's house who makes his own wine. Right. It's not like he's a commercial front where they got all these options, people coming in, buying on the reg, and no, this beer is just not good enough for people to buy. <laughs> no, this one has dust on the bottle because he saved it for something special. Yeah. Um, that's like the 120s I got in the fridge. Those probably got some dust on the bottle. And that's the right kind of dust. Creole Williams. Creole Williams. That's right. Creole w- li- Williams lived down a dirt road, made homemade wine like nobody I know. That's right. That's right. Um, anyways, I don't know. Uh, it's a cool little Japanese beer. I say cool. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. Uh, 100% malt, which I thought was interesting. Uh, that is quite unique actually it is so no hops no hops 100 percent malt that's going to be sweet as can be probably um five percent abv um i think which that also surprises me that's only five percent 
with eggs. having all that sugar. Brewed under, so the name of it is Kirin Ichiban. Ichiban, Ichiban. lipstick for mint. <laughs> That's from uh, Friends, yeah. if you didn't catch it. Ichiban. I love it. Um, <laughs> but um, the brewer is Kirin's Prime Brew. I don't think it's a actual true... Actually, I know it's not a true Japanese whiskey because it was brewed here in the States um, under supervision of Anheuser-Busch in LA. Um, so it's a Japanese-style beer, I'm assuming. I think I speak for all of us when I say... Yuck. <laughs> Kirin Ichiban is one of the world's most unique premium beers. The Ichiban... <laughs> <laughs> the, the Ichiban Shibori process uses only the most flavorful portion of malt. Um, wait, hold on. They did this really weird. Um, the most flavorful portion of the finest ingredients. That's what it's meant to say, but that's not what it actually Wait, says. Wait, so there's even a typo on the label? <laughs> it, bro, this was bottled in 2014. <laughs> We're going to see how this goes. This is either about to be the best beer Clayton's ever tasted or the worst beer Clayton's ever tasted. And if it's bad, I'm going to go get a, a Miller Lite. Uh, uh, yeah. Bet I probably would too, um, man. In the spirit of trying new beers, we've had some pretty terrible ones on the show recently. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I have um, a lot of faith that mine will not be a bad beer. Oh, I'm sure it's gonna um, be fantastic. I've never had this beer before, but. This is actually from one of my favorite breweries, Dogfish Head Brewery, of which they specialize in IPAs, which this is. This is called the Liquid Truth Serum IPA, 7% ABV by Dogfish Head Brewing. Um, and they actually don't have like kind of descriptors on their brew cans. Um they have fun on their cans. And so they have like a little Mythbusters thing here about the hops uh, cool. that are used in it. Um, so, yeah, uh, it says an IPA bursting. This is the only thing it says. An IPA bursting with all the hops, whole leaf, liquefied, pelletized, and powdered. Sweet. Going to be super, super hoppy. Yeah, so. Let's do this thing. Cheers. And notice, Cheers. Andrew, we are not pouring these in glasses. I'm not pouring this in a glass, Andrew Barrett. Apologies for my... Uh, oh! I'm going to need you to open this for me because <laughs> I don't have my ring. Um, and I don't have a... Well, I don't have my ring either. Oh, I guess that's right. Um, Let me just go... Yeah, go get some kind of bottle opener. Uh, we used to never have to worry about this because I used to open all of our beer bottles with my wedding ring. But uh, Or I would use my other ring. Yeah, but since not wearing that anymore because I'm not married anymore, uh, don't have my built-in beer bottle opener anymore. And way, honestly, sucks. it does suck. Honestly, I kind of miss wearing my wedding ring just for that reason. 
Oh, as soon as I opened it, man, the hops aroma, they hit me front and center. Get you a whiff of that. Hops aroma hit you front and center. Kind of smell, kind of smells sour. <laughs> like, it, it, it. Um, I'm not sure how this is about to go. Honestly, y'all. <laughs> Bottoms up, buddy. Cheers, bro. Cheers. <laughs> to all of our people that are not watching on YouTube, I wish you could see Clayton's face right now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> it, it probably doesn't even really taste like beer because there's going to be no hop. The malt to yeast proportion is going to be off. It's going to have a low ABV, so you're not going to get that kind of ethanol taste of high ABV beer. It pro- You probably don't have a construct of where to put that. Yes. Yeah. I have no idea what to do with this. Like, very malty. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent malty, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, that's it, all it, you're it gonna taste. Like, it tastes like malted barley. It it tastes like carbonated malt, and it's not even super carbonated. Probably because it was bottled in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? It probably started out at like a total wine, and then they couldn't sell it there. So then it probably went to Walmart, and they couldn't sell it there. So then it just ended up at the liquor hut. <laughs> They probably transported it around or something. That's funny. I, I'm okay, actually. <laughs> There's a six-pack in there. Do it for the gram, bro. Oh. Like, it's not bad directly, but, like... <laughs> It's not beer. Call it something else. I don't it's, know it's what not this beer. is. It's not beer. It, um, I don't know what it legally has to have ingredients-wise for it to be beer, but that's not beer. It doesn't taste like beer. Um, I don't like this. I'm going to go get one of those. Yeah, go ahead. This is actually really good. I haven't had a chance to talk about mine because Clayton is an anomaly with his beer. Um this is really good. Super hop forward, super floral, all the things you want in a good hopped, uh, good heavy hopped IPA. All right. So while Clayton comes back, um, we're going to wrap up the conversation about God and ethic today. You know, we, we started this kind of that tastes like beer should taste. Yes. Um, the, nectar, the nectar of the gods. Ichiban did not taste like beer. It tasted like lipstick for men. <laughs> <laughs> dang. Dang. Oh. Okay. I, I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to comment. I've been telling myself I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to comment. Okay. Uh, it's just such a rich area. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Be quiet. <laughs> on on to <laughs> on to the theology portion. Yeah, on to the theology portion of this episode. Okay. So 
I, you know, we started this conversation because I have this premise that your theology and your ethic must be in conjunction or alignment with one another. Some sort of unison. And, and when they're not, it's actually not that they're not. Yeah. It's actually just that your ethic is revealing of how you actually feel about God. Yeah. And then we walked out two scenarios of how this might play out. One about violence. Right. And one about marriage and divorce. And specifically, that one was more about my experience and some of the ways that I read the text based on what I've been through um, and how I handled myself. Which is why it was very beneficial to have Andrew come on. It was. um, to Now, I haven't heard the second episode. I've only heard the first. because That one's really... Well, I I can say it now because at the time that this airs, they'll have already heard it. Yeah. That's really a conversation strictly about the ethic of marriage. Okay. It, it is it is a wrap-up of, okay, now what, is this, what does all of this theology mean for my ethic? Right. That's that conversation. And, and by no means is this conversation of God and ethics strictly, strictly connected to God and violence and then no. his relationship to marriage and divorce. No, Richard Hayes, even kind of the book that we've been following, it's over there. Um, he has other chapters in this section. Yeah. Homosexuality, abortion, abortion um, anti-Semitic positions. Yeah. I mean, all kinds of stuff. There, there are lots of ways that this plays out. I just didn't want to walk all of this out for you when I've already done it for two of them. Right. Um, but so here's what I would say. And... If you listen to the conversation with Andrew, that conversation, the first episode, it begins as a conversation about reading Ezra Nehemiah and the mass divorce mandates, but it ventures into a conversation about God's providence and sovereignty in the midst of trauma and your experiences of life. And the reason I took it down that road is because this is a conversation about God and ethic. Yeah. And your ethic must be made up or how you live out your ethic must be made up of what you think and see about God. Mm. And so as you look at the person of God, you have to ask this question. Well, how sovereign is God? Right. Um, how much providence does God have? Um, does he have any, does he have none? Does he have all of it? You know, that you've got to find yourself somewhere on that spectrum of providence. And that's going to say a whole lot about your ethic. Mm. Because here's one thing I will say, and this is, I don't like to use all inclusives, so note that. I'm trying not to use an all inclusive. Dare I say some of the most unethical people I've ever met are hardcore reform people? Like reformed theologically? Yeah, like Like, given over to hyper Calvinism. I. Fifth, plead the fifth. Fun. That's been <laughs> my experience. That. That's yeah. been my experience. Not that. Um, and and specifically, I say that not in any kind of church context. That actually hasn't necessarily been true for me in church, but in dealing with church leaders, yeah, in seminary settings, 
It's the reform people who have the least ethic. I will say that you guys know my stance on hyper-Calvinism. Not a fan. Um, however, I'm not ready, like you said, I'm not ready to say that as an all-inclusive. Yeah. Right? Um, because I have known some very unethical people that fall in the Armenian stance as well. Oh, no. Um, for sure. Me too. And I'm not saying that. The only reason I bring that up <clears throat> is to say... If God's in ultimate control, this kind of grand puppeteer right. up in the sky, why does it matter how I act? Right. That's the logical conclusion for sure. you, right? It's like, as long as I don't do anything in those traditions, they would say, quote unquote, to disqualify myself from the ministry, then I'm Gucci. <laughs> I can, I can, I can, I said that on purpose. You're laughing, but I made that joke on purpose. Because I think that's genuinely how they feel. Right. And so what that tells me is that your ethic and your theology are not actually in contradiction. You just actually don't have a very high view of God. Mm. And, or even more so, your view of God doesn't put much in the line of human responsibility, and so your ethic doesn't really matter. So... Really, what you your goal should be is to make sure that how you view God, how you view other people, and how you view yourself in how all this plays out is in line with one another. Yes. Um, then you are ultimately Gucci. Yes. I, I think actually said that as a joke, but because like that's obvious. <laughs> I was just trying to. I don't know, bro. <laughs> Well, JC Gucci. <laughs> I no. Here's the deal. I think, bro. I think for me, what what I've noticed and what I've learned and what I want our listeners to move away from is, and I, I've said this before. And to all of our Eastern culture friends, or our Middle Eastern culture friends that listen to the podcast, I'm not talking to you right now because I know your world is very different. Western Christianity is Platonism packaged with a ribbon of Jesus. That is really what Western Christianity is at its heart. I don't disagree. Not, not in what the text says not in what the bible says but in the way that it's lived out it's platonism packaged with a ribbon of jesus i don't disagree at all i say that to say that when you view god as the ultimate transcendent being it's really easy to overlook what he's asking you, the everyday person, to do mm. and how to act. Because God's up there. Yeah. Totally removed from any experience of my pain or suffering or whatever. <clears throat> and so God's up there. And we're also all deists, right? right. So um, God's up there and he doesn't actually intervene in the world. And so no matter how I live my life, God's intervention is in salvation, right. of which I've adopted 
not me personally, this is the hypothetical person of which I'm painting, therapeutic moralism. Here's the problem with moralism. It's terrible. Oh, it's awful. Because if your moral is governed by your own personal ethic, and, excuse me, subjective to a fault, Whoever is to say that something is actually good. Right. And so you end up in this kind of hodgepodge idea where you've got these people and they say, oh, yeah, well, um, I'm not gay. Oh, yeah, well, I haven't got divorced. Oh, yeah, well, I don't steal. Oh, yeah, well, I haven't murdered anyone. But God, doggy, you better believe I'm a gossip every morning at the McDonald's when I have my coffee with all my buddies. I'm going to lust over the women that I see gardening in their front yard as I take my walk. I'm going to do all these other things because your ethic is actually quite revealing Mm -hmm. of how you view God. Right. I would urge you, listener, how different would your ethic be if you took God out of the construct of the big eye in the sky, watching over you, waiting to punish you, or just waiting to judge you at the end of which you know you're going to get remitted because you've said the sinner's prayer. Hmm. And what if you put him in the passenger seat of your car as a friend who lived life with you? Yeah. Would you make the same decisions that you make if he was right there where you had to have conversation with him, we got to see everything you looked at. He heard every word you said and had the ability, the freedom in your relationship as friends to comment on. Would you still live the same way? I actually think that my answer would be yes. Yes. I don't think that I would change a darn thing, but that's also because I already view Jesus that way. Mm-hmm. I view Jesus as the ultimate imminent being. Right. Um, the transcendent element of God is not on my mind majority of the time. Yeah. It's God's <laughs> imminence. It's God's relationship with the world. It's God's presence here with his people as we see in Genesis 1, walking and fellowshipping with them, that's the most important part of the narrative for me. Um, and so I think for my own personal ethic, I, I wouldn't change anything. I, I don't know that everyone could answer the same way. Um, I really don't. I really, I, actually, I, I think very few people. Well, it, it becomes very difficult because... Like you've already said, Western Christianity is essentially just Platonism boiled down. Well, with with some kind of element of Jesus. Sure, right. Wrapped, the way you worded it was wrapped in the bow of Jesus, right? Wrapped in the ribbon of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a preacher. I like rhymes. Yeah. Alliterations. Yeah. Wrapping, ribbon. I, I hear that. Get on your game, bro. Um. Yes, I, I completely agree with you. 
And when when you view when you think about it that way, that Western Christianity is largely that way. Um, you do kind of unintentionally, just based on what we talked about with a closer look on Monday, this is what you know and you're doing the best you can with. Mm-hmm. Right? So this isn't us coming at you no. saying that you're stupid or saying that your view of God is wrong. Not at all. We're just saying this is what you've been... Well, hold on. Yeah. This is what you've been given. Yeah. And let's maybe explore this from a different way. Yeah. Like, let's look at this... <clears throat> holistically let's look at um this kind of almost systematically and really make sure that your philosophical ethic matches your theological ethic and then therefore your view of god yeah for some kind of story or metaphor to think about wrestling with this have you ever um, have you ever been in a position where you're like you're hearing somebody talk and telling some story, pick a story, I don't care, and you naturally think to yourself as they're telling the story, well, if I was in that spot, I would have done this. Yeah, and it's the polar opposite of what they've done. And you think you're just like the smartest person in the world. Yeah, like, you're I like, could have uh, yeah, avoided I just do all this. the problems yeah, that you're having. I would right just now. do this. And then you find yourself in that spot and you don't do the thing you said you were going to do. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you, the listener, I'm not asking Cullen this question, had somebody come to you with relationship problems? Everybody's an armchair expert. Everybody's an armchair expert. Everyone thinks they know what's best. And then you find yourself in a very similar predicament. I'm actually have been there very recently um, where you find yourself in a position where you're like, no, this is the right answer. This is what you should do. And then you get there. Or, or you say, I don't know why you didn't do this. Yeah. And then you get there and you're like, oh, no, I get it now. The reason that you do that is because it's easy to say you would do something when you're not in the moment. That's right. It's also easy to say, hey, I'm not gay. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm not a murderer. Hey, I don't steal. Hey, I don't do these things in public. Sin hierarchy. Well, and why do you do that? Because people can't see you and judge you for the things that they don't know happen. Right. Um, and so your ethic, when you have a faith construct like that, your ethic is largely... Not to be crass, but it's based on very little. Yeah. Um. And I don't, I don't say that to shame anyone or, or any of those kinds of things. I, I just say that because this is something that's very personal to me. I almost left faith because of the lack of ethic that I saw from Christians. Yeah. Um, and, it wa- and it wasn't like their debaucherous, kind of heinous, hedonistic people. Right. It, it wasn't that kind of lack of ethic. 
it was just it it was the inconsistency of ethic right it was the lack of saying we love all people but you're not caring for the widow and the orphan um or heck the the time that i remember hearing people say in prayer meeting we haven't had a baptism in a while we need to reach some lost people Literally two Sundays later, a woman walked in to a Sunday morning service dressed very provocatively. Like, I'll go ahead and say, she, if it was 2 a.m. and I was driving down the strip in Vegas, I'd have thought she was a prostitute. Like, she was dressed very provocatively. Instead of someone going and getting her a blanket, instead of someone going and offering her a jacket. She was asked to leave. Your actions say a whole lot more about your theology than your words do. Mm. If you really think God's the God of redemption, you wouldn't ask that woman to leave because that's a moment where she can experience redemption. You want to know why the church is in the shambles that it's in. And I say that because I've not been quiet about this. In fact, I've been quite vocal and I've actually gotten into some trouble with some, some people over this, but I just think it to be true. If we're not careful, the church is going to become some faint distant memory of someone's great, great grandfather. Right. The only reason that's even a possibility is because when people look at us, they see that our theology and our ethic don't line up. When in fact, they're actually wrong. Our theology and our ethic do line up. We just have really poor theology. Right. And our ethic reflects that. So to the listener, how do you fight this dilemma? You deconstruct. Hmm. You go through you question why you believe theologically the things that you believe. And when you settle on them, and I say when, not if, when you settle on them, you then ask the question, what does this mean for my ethic? Yeah. And you stick to the hard questions and answers. You answer that question. Don't, just go about and not answer the ethic question. Mm. The ethic question is important. You go about, you do your thing, you deconstruct, you build your theological system and framework. Then you begin to ask your question, what does my theological system mean for LGBTQIA plus issues? What does my theological framework mean for divorce and remarriage? What does my theological framework mean for violence? What does my theological framework mean for my political stance? What does yeah. my theological framework mean for my economic, my social, like what does my theological framework mean for how I'm going to live my life as a person of faith every single day of my life? And that right there, everything you just said, I, I want to s- stick to one thing because it's all kind of comes back to this. And we talked about this on Let's Talk like a year ago. A lot of people use their politics to inform their theology. 
They do. Not the other way around. Um, which is incredibly scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is why I think largely in the evangelical church, at, at the very least, it seems like our ethic and our view of God doesn't match. Correct. Because our ethic is based on our politics. Mm. Right? And that influences how you view all these other social issues. Mm. Instead of going to the Bible and instead of going to your theology to inform your view of politics, of social issues, Mm. you build it backwards. And let me tell you, when you start deconstructing these things, it ain't easy. I was just talking with this, about this with somebody the other day. When you start asking some of these questions, you will be forced to deconstruct. And it's hard. It sucks at some points. Because at some points, you're like, I don't even know what I believe. I don't even know what to do. But that's where you need a support system. That's where you need places to go and people to talk to, to help you work through these things, to give you resources. And that's where we come in. That's where your, the people in your well come in. That is where your friends, your family come in. You need a support system to help you deconstruct. And it, a support system that supports you deconstructing. Let's keep it there as well. Because um, it's going to be hard to do it on your own. Can you do it? Yes. Cullen largely deconstructed on his own. Largely. I, I would say I probably had... At most, and this is generous, 15% help. Um, and I, I do think Clayton's right. That is a huge part of it. But I will also say, as you deconstruct, Clayton's right, you're going to come to a place where you say, I don't even know what I believe. Take heart, listener. Because I am confident that that is the moment where you will most experience God. Mm. Because sometimes I think God wants a clean slate to reveal himself in a great way. Why why was it when Derek Jeter retired, he started a media platform for athletes? Well, he did it because he was tired of having his words distorted in the media. He did it so the athletes could have a clean slate to say what they wanted to say in their own voice. Yeah. In the same way, for centuries, nay, arguably millennia, we've approached and had conversations and said things about God from our own preconceived notions and biases. Sometimes in the deconstructive journey, 
we need to reach a place where we don't have any more preconceived notions about what we are going to believe or not believe so that God can ultimately reveal himself and shape us into the people that he's asking us to be. And it's in those moments where God says, I am who I am. Mm. And from your realization of I am who I am, whoever God reveals himself to be to you in that moment, you respond in the words of Isaiah, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, but here I am, send me.